0: Hi, everybody. This is Laurie Handlers, and you are listening to another episode of Sex and Happiness. And, you know, I always say it's about your sex and your happiness and my sex and my happiness and my guests' sex and happiness. And today is no exception. We are going to do an exploration today. And first, let me tell you about who this amazing person is that's sharing the screen with me. I want to read to you a little bit about her, although I don't need to read anything because we have been friends for a long time, but I want you to know who she is the way a little bit uh, more than what I know. So her name is Jen Koken. Hi, Jen. Hello. <laughs> and Jen <laughs> works. With, Jen works with women in power positions who don't feel so powerful anymore. She shatters their self-doubts so they can learn to love themselves, embrace their genius, and own their success. Recognized by ABC, MSNBC, and TEDx, Jen is an international peak performance coach, Fortune 500 speaker, imposter syndrome expert, and a recovering stand-up comedian. Yay! <laughs> Fortune 500 clients to seven-figure CEOs trust Jen to shake things up with no apologies, no limits, and all the laughs. You can discover more about the coach behind the powerhouse woman in your life at jenkokan.com. We'll get back to that later so you can find her if you need to, want to, or must. Um, but first, you'll find out more about Jen because Jen and I are going to have a conversation today about the connection between the boardroom and the in bedroom. The bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you'll see that we're you know we're super compatible, we've known each other for years and um and we decided that we might possibly co-author a book together on this subject, the boardroom and the bedroom. So you, my friends and listeners, are the first people who are actually hearing us have a co-creation conversation about it. We decided to put it on air so yes, that why you not can, yeah, and so that you can have input. What do we have to hide? I mean, really, (laughs) (laughs) nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Not a thing. So, Jen, it's first of all, it's so wonderful to have you, and um, it's always great to talk to you. And lately, I've talked to you a lot, so it's like it feels like this desert, and then we get to talk to each other a lot.
1: Yeah, and then a desert, and then a lot of rain (laughs) or monsoon or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I like the monsoon season
1: better than the desert, by the way.
0: (laughs) How did you get to, um, how did you get to be this? How did you get to be this powerhouse coach? You know, when I met you, I I don't even know what you were doing. You were at landmark education and you were becoming a seminar leader. And And I was
1: working in politics. Right. I I worked in politics for 30 years. And so 2016, um, I was working for a big energy company. I did a lot of work with energy companies, green energy. And I walked into work one morning and my boss pushes an envelope, pushes a folder across to me and says with a tear, because we really enjoyed working together. Your services are no longer needed. And I had no idea it was coming. They reorganized the entire company and had sold off my division. And as it happened, the next day, my, first book came out, which was an Amazon bestseller called When I Die, Take My
0: Panties. (laughs) Yes, I remember it well.
1: But that was the fourth job I'd been laid off of in the four years I'd been writing the book. And it took me about a week to figure out there was a bigger message for me. And I thought at the time, because the book is really, it's because I use stand-up comedy with everything. So there's a lot of laughing in the book, but it was chronicling my mom's journey from dying from ovarian cancer, but it is not a sad book. And so I thought my purpose was, okay, I'm supposed to educate women about the signs and symptoms. We don't want right. anyone going through this, except by October, I had done TV, radio, Amazon, whatever. Oh, I all, I said, I don't want to spend my life surrounded in grief and holding space for grief. It was so heavy. And so like, Oh, just choking me. Yeah, and I had been a coach with Landmark, of course, a seminar leader with Landmark, had completed with them. But I loved the work I did, and I was passionate about empowering people. I said, "Okay, I'll become a coach." I didn't know what I was doing, and all the programs out there of what you're supposed to do as a coach and you're supposed to do it this. I'm like, "Are we allowed to swear on this pod on this podcast?"
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, okay, good. I was like, "Fuck that shit." I want to do. <laughs> 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 like I'm going to do it my own way. None of this feels authentic. None of this feels true to me. So finally, I, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall, trying things around 2019, mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I got it. I'm going to be that tall poppy. And if any of your listeners are in Australia, there's a saying in Australia, being a tall, you don't want to be a tall poppy, right? right? Cause you're going to stick your neck out. It's going to get lopped off. But I said, no, I know what I have to offer is amazing. I'm going to be a tall poppy. And I spent all of 2019 under the covers, miserable because my head was just getting (laughs) locked off (laughs) left and right because I took on a big corporate client and I got sucked into that toxic culture. And really thank God for the pandemic for two reasons. One is I had this major aha moment where I realized what had happened. And I had let myself, I didn't get sucked in. I allowed myself.
0: Yeah, sure. We, we always do this to ourselves, but we don't always see it like that.
1: Exactly. And then I also realized what was really going on is I was dealing with imposter syndrome. Now I'd started reading about it and studying it. And if you actually Google imposter syndrome, or you Google overcome imposter syndrome, there are legit, Lori, I think 1.3 million hits on tools and tips and tricks from coaches. And that stuff doesn't work. It just, it doesn't work. What do you do manage the, your mind for the rest of your life. That sounds exhausting. And I don't want to do that. And I don't want to die because that's the only time I don't have to. <laughs> 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 right. My mind. And so what I realized is no, there's a source to my version of imposter syndrome. So you'll love this when I was six years old, my best friend was named Michelle and we liked the same boy his name was Keith and uh, we decided at six the way we'd figure out who we liked better because he wasn't answering our notes you know if if it's the end of the world would you share a sleeping bag with me I don't think we said that at six do you like me yes no so he wasn't answering our notes let's chase him around the schoolyard in the snow in Michigan and push him down and then see who he kisses so we did and he looked at Michelle and she puckered up and he kissed her and he looked at me and I puckered up and he said ew
0: heartbroken at 6 at 6 years old my life is over in <laughs> kindergarten
1: but i but fast forward to my adult life i was like oh my god in that moment michelle was just like cute little perky blonde hair blue eyed little Petite nose, and I was always twice the size. I'm five foot ten. I've been an athlete most of my life. Twice the size of everybody else, I was the big girl—not fat, but just like tall.
0: Yeah.
1: And black. You off.
0: are a tall poppy. I was gonna say, like, what? What do you mean, tall poppy syndrome? You are a tall poppy.
1: I am a tall poppy, exactly. But I didn't own it before then. But right. On like dark hair, dark eyes. I was like, okay, I'm never gonna be like her. She's a shiksa, right? Because I was Jewish. So in Yiddish, shiksa is like a non. I'm like. It can never be a shiksa. I'll never be a shiksa. <laughs> I'll just be the funny sidekick. And my whole career was spent getting other people elected, um, standing up for other people's rights, uh, passing legislation and protecting the environment, passing legislation to you know uh, reform welfare, blah blah, go on and on and on and on until I realized, holy crap, the reason I'm having such issue is now it's me in front. And a six-year-old, a heartbroken six-year-old is in the body of a, how old is I then, you know, 55-year-old woman trying to run a company. Mm. And the moment I got that, I'm like, the whole world, ah, opened up. And I wanted that for every other woman, because I know there's other women in my position where we are powerful, we're strong, we're independent, we're running companies.
0: And brilliant. You know,
1: right? We're in the C-suite of other companies and we're hiding because the outside success does not match the inside. And it's all because of, it's not dramatic or traumatic. It's one little moment. So that's how I got into the work that I'm doing and why it's so fulfilling for me to empower super powerful women and do it with laughs and do it with fun.
0: Yeah. So great. Really great. Love it. Oh, let's take a breath.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so much to say.
0: No, that's a lot. I mean, I I, I also understand that. I think I just, I, I went through it before I knew you. So I didn't have you to coach me or rely on. I've had to pretty much do everything myself. You mm. know, because I didn't have, even when I went through menopause, I mean, my mother denied that she was going through anything. I didn't have anyone to talk to. So I'm like now the resource for everybody who, needs to talk to somebody about what's going on in menopause, needs to talk to somebody what's going on after menopause. But I never, I had no one uh, to ever talk to me about anything. And so I just figured out that stuff by myself. Mm. But it would have been so great to have a coach. I mean, I just, I remember being at Landmark and them saying to me, you know, you have at least 40 to 60 volunteers all the people going through the introduction of the formulators program, use them. They want to serve you. And I'd be like, why do they want to serve me? <laughs> <laughs> <You
1: know, like, laughs> why do I need this myself? Why do I need them? And I can do it better, faster, quicker.
0: Exactly. And quicker. Exactly. And, and that I, is a I hallmark
1: didn't... of imposter syndrome. Not asking for help, not delegating, micromanaging, being a perfectionist. People don't realize it.
0: I didn't get any of that until I did. Yeah. And now it's just like I ask everybody to do things, and I pull away from so I just go, do it. And if they don't do it the way I like it, I go, mm, I, I didn't like it like that. Can you try it again? Like I, I but it's, to, you know, it's totally different from how I used to be. So. I right
1: you, yeah, right when you said that, I bet you're that way in the bedroom, too. I didn't like that, Michael. Can you do it though can <laughs> do <into> it again?
0: <laughs> well, we do. We have a, Michael and I have seduction as a team sport. That's one of our modules. I love that. And uh, in the seduction as a team sport module, we have before sex, during sex, and after sex. Mm-hmm. How does seduction happen in each stage of being intimate and why it's so important and not, and usually one person gets hung with it. You know, one person is the seductor and one person is the receiver of seduction. No. I don't if you have more than one partner, then everybody should be a seducer. If you have two, then the two should seduce. It's not yeah. just one person. So yeah, so we do that and we process it after. Like we'll say what, you know, what worked. The same thing as anything, the same thing as a seminar. Afterwards, we go, what really worked? What was your favorite part? What was like really spectacular? What didn't work so much? What could we change? Yeah. And we and we do that with each other so that our sex gets better. That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about that, the bedroom and the boardroom.
1: Right. Well, I was going to say that how come we started engaging in this conversation is because Uh, how I used to be, and I'm still on the journey. It's not like I figured anything out at all, Mm -hmm. right? I would pick men who were not a match for me because I didn't think I could find somebody who was. And because I was so used to leading with my masculine energy and running companies and worked in a lot of male-dominated industries, you know, I was having a conversation with some people before this and they're like, well, what did you use to like mask your vulnerability and femininity? And people are like, Oh, well I'd, I'd show up to the meeting anyway and use my feminine wiles to get the seat at the table. I'm like, not me. I'd show up and go move over. I'm sitting down because I should be here. Get out of the way. What do you mean? Not including me? Let's go. We're getting work
0: done. I did the same thing. So I, I totally understand. I mean, yeah, I totally get it. I feel like I walked around with a, a ethereal cigar, what do you, you mean? know, popping out of my mouth. Like I could have been in any boardroom with a cigar any day with the boys.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: You know, I feel like that. I'm just shorter than you, but it doesn't matter. Like I I had that, but I used to do other things when I was in corporate America. I mean, I used to, I used to humor them into transformation Mm-hmm. i you humor people into transformation all the time. I once had like i i when I was in corporate America, not landmark, when I was in like a a software company, you know like a fortune five hundred company or something i was the uh i I was in the training department but i I convinced them that we needed to have an organization development department, not just training and then I would have crazy things like i would call i would say friday's crazy hat day. And everybody would wear crazy hats. Or I would, I would go to board meetings with bongers on. You know, and they, or when I called all the executives from around the company, from, they were from around the world, like middle management would come to a management training institute. I would give out the glasses, the nose, and the mustache so that everybody was playing on the, regular, on the same playing field. I love like, that. We all had that. I have pictures of myself wearing that, like leading a glass. And they were like, what are we doing? And I go, because I don't want anyone looking around this room and thinking like, you know, this person isn't the same because it's, there's a gender issues here or whatever. So we will all wear the glasses and nose and the mustache for all of today. Yeah. And they would just be, they couldn't, you know, nobody could keep a straight face. Like they were just going, this woman is crazy. Well, you know
1: what's so great about that? Um, So a lot of the work I do is is steeped in neuroscience. So neuroscience tells us when you're developing a new habit, you need 500 repetitions to Mm. ingrain that habit. Some scientists have found that when you introduce play, guess how many repetitions you need?
0: Less, half.
1: 12. Oh. So that's why I always try to introduce play to it. But I love that because people probably got more You're actually giving me an idea for a group program that I'm launching, but people probably got more out of being there with the glasses, nose, and mustache through the entire day because they had to let go of their already perceived notions about whether it was, you know, of a a woman identified or or a person who identified as a man or a woman, they had to let go of their already perceived notions about that person. Just be like, that's a freaky mustache. Oh, you look like my grandfather. Oh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or just that they came, you know, they they were all like the model back then. I was in a software company. So the model of efficiency, function, uh, blah, 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 was IBM. You know, at IBM, everybody wore white shirts blue or gray suits. There was no, uh, there was definitely no uh, fluidity back then. It was in the eighties. So at IBM, white shirts, blue or gray suits, and, you know, a certain look and a certain tie. And that was it, you know, like a, a red or a blue tie or a red and blue tie, no yellow ties yet, nothing like that. And, you know, as women, I didn't, I, I had a blue suit and I had a gray suit, but I didn't want to look like that. I didn't want to look. And so they all came, you know, very, and lots came from DC. Whole, we had a whole, you know, huge division in DC and Maryland. Um, and they all came, you know, and they all were you know, they they were going to a management institute. All buttoned you know, up, yeah. And I would go like, okay, yeah, you'll find at your seats, open the box. <laughs> Put on the glasses, the nose, and the mustache. This is how we begin. And um, yeah, I was humoring them into transformation of everything that they perceived to be the way it was.
1: Yeah. The way
0: things were done. Yeah. And I, it was wonderful. So and I, But the stuff I know now, I didn't know then. So I now know that like sexual energy is what is the energy of creation. And when I, so I think, you know, because I left that world and I went into the world of sacred sexuality and teaching that, which is far more fun um, <laughs> than it was doing that. Although I had a lot of fun there. I feel that if people would would harness their sexual energy and be aware of it and use it for the purposes, like for business slash the purposes of good. yeah, You know, whatever that means, you know, like for, for the kinds of things you were up to, you know, green energy, um, social justice, what have you. If people would use their sexual energy, I always thought that business would be ahead like would change the planet before politicians. Mm. I felt like businesses if they had their if they had their heads screwed on right, there was because of the profit motive, they would find solutions to problems. Instead of creating more problems, they would find a solution to problems and now that I know that they could use their sexual energy to fuel their intentions and and really harness it, I feel like especially women executives, come yeah, on. Yeah,
1: I know. Um, there's so many thoughts that I have racing around in my head. So I think a couple of things about what you said. One is that because there's very few women at the top, right? So in 2018, there were 25 female CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and 23 men named John. Yeah. And fast forward to 2020, there's 41 women and a lot of, I don't know how many men named John. I don't know if there's the same or whatever, but a lot of corporations are redesigning or thinking about how they create space for people who identify as women to rise to the top. Why? Because female or women-led companies make more money. Women-led companies have higher employee satisfaction. Women-led companies have lower employee attrition. Except if what's on the inside hasn't transformed the inner game to match the environment, that outer game is not going to be in alignment and true and true. And I think we started this conversation because I was sharing about a client who rose her way to the top. And the key thing for me was to get her out of her head into her body. It's a lot of the work I do with my clients. Like you got to embody the kind of, what's that mean? All right. Let's have a conversation about being in your body and the chakras and energy. And so she was able to get into her heart. And a lot of women have closed their throat because they've given away their voice. What we haven't done yet is align that with sex, the the first and second chakras, right? If
0: you don't align that, that's probably why you don't have a voice. Those are, they're so connected. Yes. And then, and we were talking about the imposter syndrome and you were saying that if the outside environment doesn't mirror the inside environment. Well, what I was saying, and this is, uh,
1: cause I've been in this inquiry, which is also yeah. what, right? Uh, so as a, a person who's been single for a while, my last relationship, as you know, was, we won't even
0: go into it, but it no. was,
1: you know, it was not a match.
0: Right? It wasn't very satisfactory. No, not a match.
1: It was not a match. It was not. And I don't want my next relationship to be the most satisfying, fulfilling, sexual, sensual, adventurous, amazing relationship of my life. Right. <sighs>
0: And so it is. <laughs>
1: and so it is. <laughs> and owning a house on a lake, a still lake, not right, power boats, right. and we can right. go into all the rest. Take <laughs> that again. And so it is.
0: And so, <laughs> so it is.
1: <clears throat> in the wilderness, where we can have retreats with naked people. Okay. And so it is. So my point is that what I realize is this experience of imposter syndrome, which many people are now tuned into and interested in, is really another way to um, to name something to give people access to something like, and you'll appreciate this and remember this, if you and I were driving in a car and the car stalled out and we opened up the hood, we would look at that together and we're like, I don't know. I don't know, there's a bunch of wires and stuff. But if I called my friend, David, who helped me change my spark plugs and helped me change my coolant, I'd be like, no, it's the hippie jib and the dob. We're like, oh, we don't even know what a hippie jib or a dob is. So once you have access to something, it gives you power and facility over that thing. So imposter syndrome is really an access point to identifying where you had a break with yourself, Mm. where you had a break with loving yourself. And you began to believe either the hype that's in your head or what other people were telling you. And we cut ourselves off from source love. And universal love, because universal love and divine intelligence is all connected all the way through, up and down in that void. When we cut ourselves off that way, there's no way we could be connected to our sexual energy, which is alive and creation and money and all that lives in the same realm. So there is there's you know, there's three aspects to a human when I work with my clients. There's you. There's what you're at work on and there's the environment in which you're at work on what you're at work on. So corporations may be changing the environment in which we're at work on, what we're at work on to, for diversity and inclusion, for um, women, for LGBTQ, et cetera. But if the inside game for you, if you're still operating deficient, disconnected from your heart you can't be just it all goes together right you can't be connected to your yoni you can't be connected to your throat you can't be connected to your intuition to divinity and so how and that translates this client of mine was like she doesn't date she hasn't had a relationship in forever she doesn't want to go there i'm like honey you, you know i don't know she's 55 i'm past that i'm like no you're not you
0: This is the thing. Are you alive? Are you walking? Are you breathing? Are you talking? Are you eating? Are you sleeping? Are you you, there's nothing, there's no past anything.
1: No, are you pooping? If you're pooping, (laughs) you're juicy. Sorry, just you got to figure out the access to that.
0: (laughs) I can't stand it when people say to me, I'm beyond, I'm over 50, and so I've given up on sex. I've given up on relationships. I've given up on everything. I was like, I call bullshit. Yep. I call that you boxed yourself into a corner because of whatever, because, yep. because, because, because whatever the reasons are, whatever the story is and the the narrative is, and I call bullshit.
1: Absolutely. And let's talk about, because you said this to me, which is, you know, there is the, masculine of making things happen when you're head of a company, when you're at that C-suite level, when you're managing a lot of people. And we need that at that level, as much as we need an ability for a woman or a man to bring nurturing energy into that environment to ensure that, I don't know, during a global pandemic that everybody's okay and actually check. I mean, right now, the big what people have seen over the last year is when leaders are vulnerable and show empathy, Those are the companies that are thriving. And when they don't, and those are, you know, normally women identified or divine feminine, except men can have that energy. Of course they can. Right.
0: Of course they can.
1: Right. So then we were talking about how most women bring that competitive energy into the bedroom, into their relationships. And I had said to you forever, I said, men, this was what I used to believe men can't handle me which isn't the case. It's what they didn't want to be is in competition with me. And I was bringing that energy into those relationships. So talk to me about that a little more.
0: Yeah. I used to do that too. Um, And I, I I don't know in 2003, I had my last relationship with somebody who's competing with me. So it's a while ago already. Yeah. Um, I didn't know any better I just simply didn't know any better. I didn't know how to stop it. But what Tantra gave me was the ability to see that I could weave between both. That mm. I could be super productive, super penetrating in my in my communication. And at the same time, I could like feel feminine. I could feel the flow. I could feel like my life changed. Mm. I didn't have to just be one way. Like I knew how to get success in business, but I didn't know how to get success in relationships. And I stopped being the same way in business all the time. Like I stopped that, but it really took me to, to, uh, later on, like when I moved here to Phoenix, when I moved to Phoenix, I went online dating. I met 100 men like right, you know, as soon as I got here, I just started online dating. I'm, you know, few months later and I would meet like three people a day I was like you know two teas I don't drink coffee two teas and maybe a drink and I would be like no I'd say you know you're not at all comfortable with me are you you know like I just would say it so they didn't have to like bear another hour of tea or coffee and I and I just said to myself okay I have to whatever I'm expecting from someone to give me Like something I'm missing that I want a relationship for. And what do I want the relationship for? What do I expect the relationship to give me? Yeah. And I said, whatever that is, I'm going to give it to myself. Mm. So I gave it to myself in terms of my landscape, my house, my whatever. But I also gave it to myself sexually. I took myself where I wanted someone to take me. And because I did that. I just, like, something shifted. I wasn't going to give up on sex. That's ridiculous. Like, I was, like, way too sexual of a person. So I took myself, you know, I made love to myself as my own ideal lover. Like, I, I you know, this is how the gloves came. You know, I wear, when I self-pleasure, I wear surgical gloves because I don't want to recognize my own hands. I want to make believe that these are the hands of, my divine lover. And so I took myself on a about a two-hour date, which changed everything. Yeah. It was a game changer. And I just went, oh, well, now I took myself there so I can be in that state anytime I want. And I don't have to expect that from the outside world. I don't have to expect that from anybody. There was something freeing that... It made me unneedy. It made me much more... Um, Believe it or not, <laughs> this is a truth or dare. Believe it or not, when I go out somewhere and there's, you know, like I'm at a bar or wherever I used to be, anyway, I'm shy. If a man would make eye con- straight eye eye contact with me and, like, give me that I'm interested look, I would look down. Me too. Yeah, I couldn't. I'd be like, oh, you know, some of my friends would wear. Right. Zip down to. I used to call it zip down to your pubic. We're, we're both speaking Yiddish today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> belly button. And then they go, why was that man staring at my breasts? And I go, cause you unzipped your whole thing down to your pubic, your navel. <laughs> um, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I was too fly. So then, so something changed though. I mean, because that's really how I met Michael. I mean, I, I said to him, you said something that that was arousing to me. You said something, we should have a drink. And he was like, why? And I said, well, you said you want to meet the goddess. I am the goddess. Like I couldn't let him leave that place that we were after he said that. It was just like, hmm, this man has real potential. He gets something that I need to be gotten in. But that was the most, that was pretty forward of me. That was really
1: forward of you, but I love that. And it actually makes me think of myself freshman year of college, sophomore mm-hmm. year of college. I was that woman who would like seduce the hell and I loved it. And it was so much fun. And I was my own, in my own sovereign being. And I was, because I lived a very sheltered life. My mother never talked to me about sex. She left the joy of sex around, hoping I would read it. And I asked her about <laughs> it years later. She was like, I was too embarrassed. like, okay, but it might've helped me if you had actually talked to me about like pleasure and dating and men instead of me trying to figure it out on my own. But when I got to college, I'm like, wow, I really like sex. I'm going to have a lot of sex. I'm going to enjoy myself. And then fast forward about two and a half years later, I was raped. I said, okay, well, I can't be that way again. I can't Mm -hmm. be. And so I cut off that sensual, sensual part of me, that that woman who was okay with enjoying sex, okay with pleasure, okay with creating and co-creating with whoever my partner was. And it took me till my first ISTA to reclaim those parts of me. And I'm still reclaiming. uh, Am I still reclaiming? I'm just looking as I'm saying that it's like an automatic way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm still reclaiming, I'm now in this dance of penetrating and flow of willingness to, and open to be penetrated, whether it's with ideas from another person, like in this conversation, or whether yeah. it's in business or whether it's in the bedroom. Of course, the pandemic has not made it easy for a single human to to date or to be connected with people. But the, the key thing for me now that I've realized is as I'm dating a little bit is saying when things... Don't work for me.
0: You know, speaking up. yeah. speaking up, setting a boundary. Setting a boundary. I mean, all those things all, desires, fears, and boundaries. Like, what Absolutely. do you desire? What are you afraid of? And what's your boundary? Like, no, you will not be late to come and get me or to meet me somewhere. No, I'm not a late person. I don't tolerate late. So, so we're
1: saying this that, you know, I never forget the first Insta I was at. When, um, I don't know if you remember this, but I fell in love with my armpit, I found this erogenous zone right. in my armpit, and I was like, "Oh my God, who knew? So it's like, could you lick my armpit? could you <laughs> you know like asking for what I wanted? It's still sometimes I become that shy person, but I'm like, all right, well, you know, do you want what you want or do you if you want what you want, you gotta go out and ask for it, and people either exactly. get yes, no or maybe, and then none of that means anything. It's yes for now. It's no for now. It's maybe for now, but there's, I was just thinking like, what are our top, what are our 10 aspects of this? We've got the whole book. You know what I mean? Like each session of recording and going, okay, what does it mean to be penetrating and being willing to be penetrated all at the same time? And how does that work? How do you ask for what you want? All the things that we've been on this journey together, looking at it in your sex and happiness class as well. During that class, I met a guy I started talking to and I was like, well, this is interesting. He's saying all the right things. And then he said a couple of things and we had a zoom call and I wasn't attracted to him. And so I asked for a call and I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't have an experience of chemistry with you. And I want to just ask you how that was for you. He's like, well, yeah, me too. I didn't have an experience of chemistry. I go, great. Thanks for acknowledging that. So what do we want to do from here? Because I don't want to ever feel obligated or have anyone else feel obligated to be in communication right well what because he's into the same things that i am and he's like well why don't we just communicate when the mood strikes i'm like beautiful perfect he was like thank you so much for bringing that up and having that conversation like absolutely because you know now now i'm in my heart space now love has returned
0: when love has returned to your heart space it's amazing how you don't need love from the outside but you you attract it you will attract it i mean it's just like I feel like that's what I what happened for me when I was willing to love myself the way I was wanting someone to love me. Then it was easy to meet somebody who would love me the way I wanted to be loved. Mm-hmm. It's, so, it, it's so hysterical. Well,
1: how, how can you ask for what you want when you don't know what you want? How can, if you're in that journey that you were on of loving yourself, all of a sudden you became your own beloved, right? And you knew what, your desires were maybe, I don't know if want desires and you. I knew
0: what my desires were. And I also knew at this point, I know things that I, you know, things I value and things I have boundaries about. These are not things that I grew up knowing. I didn't know any of that. So now that I know it, I can speak it. I can say, these are the things I value. And, you know, in my relationship, I had to say some things to Michael. He often canceled. He used to cancel at the last minute. Mm. He would just say, I don't feel well. Like I can't see you tonight, five minutes before he was supposed to be here. Um, and I would, I, so I said, you know, we need to have a talk. So, And because he's done landmark, we had the same vocabulary. So I said to him, look, the way I see it, you know, my word is my integrity. I think you see it the same way. So you give me your word or often you give me your word that we're going to have a plan and then you you don't keep it. And I'm questioning that. I'm calling that to, into question. Are you your word or not? And he was like, I'm by word. I was like, well, okay, then show up as that. Yeah. But he did, He he floored me once and I'm going to say this to you like it, He we were I was leaving a meeting around 10 o'clock at night. And he said to me, when you leave the meeting, give me a call. And so I called him that particular night and uh, he wasn't paying attention. I could tell he was totally distracted. He was like on the phone with me, but he wasn't responding. And I said, you're not paying attention. I'm telling you something and you're not paying attention. This is very early on, very early. I said, you don't you don't see you seem to be distracted. I am, he said. So I said, okay, I'm hanging up. I said, I'm a, an adult. I know how to deal with the emotion of being disappointed. I'm hanging the phone up. And I hung up. I was mad. Like I'm driving and I was like hand screaming with one hand, you know, and driving. And then he called me the next day and he said to me, I realized I set you up. I told you to call me and then I wasn't present. And I know that must have been painful. And I apologize for not being emotionally available on the call last night. And I said to him, who trained you? Where did you learn to say that? <laughs> I said, you didn't ma- I know you didn't make that up on your own. I've never heard a man say that. And he said, I learned that at Allison Armstrong. And I said, great, that I said, you're well-trained, I, that you just took responsibility and said, you apologized for not being emotionally available. I said, you are a keeper. Mm, <laughs>
1: said, that's, so not- <laughs> that's so great. But, you know, I love that. I want to share a little story with you. I don't yeah. know how much time we have or how much we,
0: longer. We need, to, we need to end soon. We, okay. We're a little over, but. You know, I'm 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 so entertained. I'm having the best time. So (laughs) (laughs) I know, me too. (laughs) We'll go another five to ten.
1: Okay, so I would tell a little story because the way I reacted to something that was similar was very different. And then, how do you? Because for you know, I'm still learning when to have the collie not come out and be like you know. Right. So I was dating a guy for it was a very short time. We talked a lot. This was during COVID. We talked a lot, and then we finally met, and he's. Polly. And he had just met another woman in a relationship and that was fine with me. And we were kind of getting to know each other. We probably, I don't know, it was maybe three, four weeks that we were together. And every time we were supposed to get together, something happened. And one time his dog got sick, which I understood. And okay. and, and I was going to make him dinner. He took me out to dinner the first, or we we met, went on a hike the first time. Next time was going to be dinner. His dog got sick. I understood. We made another plan for Friday and then he um, his leg went out. And I said, well, why don't I drive to you? I have all this stuff for dinner. Why don't I drive to you and I'll make you dinner? And do you need me to bring you anything or go any? So I went to Walmart and got him a McCain, and we made dinner. It was a lovely evening and we talked a lot. And we had a couple of other dinners like that that were wonderful. But from the get-go, he wanted me to meet his other partner. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay with him. The jury was still out for me because health is really important. And he was, he was 10 years younger than me and on 10 meds didn't work out, didn't take care of himself. And that was a big red flag. And I'm like, I love his company, but I can't see myself with somebody who, he doesn't even walk his dogs, doesn't like the outside. And he wanted me to meet her really early on. And I said, not yet, because, and I finally said to him, you know, I want to co-create a relationship with you. And when we figure out what's happening here, then I'll be open to meeting her. Okay. But then he asked me again, it was sort of a pushy, you know, I'm like, look, you've got to stop. I'm now resisting you. But I right. thought you said I should ask you later. I go, "I did. I'm not ready to meet much her. later." <laughs> right. I'm not ready to meet her and her polycue, poly and her whatever, I forgot all the names, but you know and her, her peoples. Well, we you and I, the three of us would go to dinner and then we'd all go meet the other people. I'm like, "I'm not ready yet." And I finally had to sit down with them and say, "Look, I think you have an idea of what you want your life to look like, which he did. He wants a big house with two separate master suites and a woman living in each who can bring their lovers in. And and that's beautiful. You should, if that's what you want, that's what you should have. I said, but I'm not interested in that. At least not right now. I want to know, can we start, can we author this together so that I'm not entering your story when it's already been written? And he, and we toast, he said to co-authoring our relationship. And I said, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, the whole health thing, maybe that's, we'll see. So we were supposed to get together that Friday. Yeah. And he calls to cancel 20 minutes before he's supposed to show up. And I was oh, like, no. what's going on? He goes, well, I don't know. I'm just not feeling it. And I said, you want to say a little bit more? I just can't do Polly the way I want to do it. Now, I knew he was so in love with this other woman. He was falling in love with her. Good for him. He wanted to spend all his time with her. He should. And he said, can I call you tomorrow? And I said, no, I said, I'm not interested. You just broke trust with me. It's the third or fourth time you've done this. And I'm going to stand by what I said before, that you have an idea about where you want this to go. And I'm not in the same story that you are. So I'm going to call it right now. I don't want to talk with you. Very
0: smart. Very smart.
1: Exactly. And so what's interesting though, is how do you know? when it's a keeper or not. And I think for me, the tell was the health piece is so incredibly important because I take care of myself. I do the long distance bike rides. I want someone with me who's going to do all that stuff. And I think often women or people don't want to be alone. So they settle and and lose their sovereignty and give up what they really want. Or they think that person isn't out there, but that's in the head. That's not in the heart. When we get back into our heart, right? We are, there's no limit to love
0: in hearts. there's heart. no limit to love and we have to be willing to risk our boundaries. We have to be willing to, to say it. I've had to say to my partner, I'm worried about you. Your health is not where my health is. Uh, that's a huge value of mine. So he's working on it. He is working on it. Today I bought a stationary, bike. I ordered a stationary bike and he said, I want one. And I said, let's see if you use mine first if you will get on mine when it comes, when I'm not on it, then I'll get another one. i I said, I'll buy you a present. I'll get you another one and we'll ride next to each other. I said, but I warn you, I'm an animal on a stationary bike. So. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you keep up with me. <laughs> I, but we it, like, we do talk about that. We do have to talk about that. And, but he had the initial, I guess I'm going to just say, I mean, he had the communication piece. He had the investment into transformation piece. He had the Tantra piece and the the want of that. And he had the piece of goddess, like worship the goddess. I mean, it was that part, those parts, I couldn't implant that into somebody.
1: Right, right.
0: The other parts were, you know, I'm calling you out on your word. Don't break any plans with me ever again. And don't come here late. And he doesn't. And he loves to tell the story about how I called him out. He also said to me, you know, he had boundaries. Don't have He said, don't try and have a relationship with me. I'm not very good at that. And I said, okay, I won't.
1: And then he didn't want to stay over or something, right? Like, Right. No
0: no sleepovers. Fine. Who cares? I didn't care. I didn't take any of that personally. Plus, I traveled so much at the time. Like, I really didn't care. It was like when I would get home from somewhere, it would be great to see each other for a couple of days. And then we wouldn't see each other for a week. Right. And it was fine. I didn't, I just said, I don't need anything from you to fill some hole or something. I don't need that. And he was so floored by that. I wasn't trying to, I was really sovereign and he was really sovereign and he, he felt like, wow, he was really dealing with a sovereign adult. Yeah. 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 So I think it's really just, I think, speak your truth. That law, you know, I think, speak your truth is like really important. I yeah. love that you said to this person early on, you know, no, I'm not in the same picture that you're picturing in your mind. I'm not. That's like want someone wanting you to meet their kids. Yeah,
1: and and I, I really, you know, when I, you know, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in August, but I'm fine now. I'm cancer free. And really, for me, when yeah. I began to go public, is, <laughs> is, it's about being the, you author your journey. You're responsible for your experiences, for what you want, for getting what you want, for getting your needs met, for knowing your desires. It's not anybody else's responsibility. No, it isn't. So I want to be the author or we're going to co-author our journey together. And I think very often couples, I've seen this a lot, start taking each other for granted because they think they know the person. And a friend of mine, when she married her husband, one of his vows was, I vow never to know you. I love that. I was like, yeah. I want someone to give me that vow. I vow yeah. never to know you. I yeah. vow to co-author always our journey for the rest of our lives. Oh. Yeah. That turns me on. Surprised. I want to have sex with that man.
0: Always <laughs> to be surprised, always to have beginners' mind, always to not to put you in a box. Yeah. So to me a box is a coffin. I don't want to be in that box. I don't want to be in any box.
1: <laughs> of course where my mind went was don't put me in a box,
0: get in my box. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different metaphor. It is a different <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> so, okay. So, I think we have a start. I think this is good. I think that my listeners and my watchers will be very excited to hear about this. You know, there are there we. I am. You know, my audience has a lot of powerful women in it who need to hear the message that you can be just as powerful in the boardroom as you are in the bedroom, but you have to just as much attention and look i put so much detail into my corporate how i dressed what my shoes looked like what you know what i was going to say when i was at a board meeting what i was going to say when i was training executives what you know i i'm putting just as much of that into my personal life and into the bedroom i'm not having sex and not talking about it yeah yeah i'm not I'm not uh I'm not gonna I'm um, here's the other one. I always say this. People say if you would schedule a date, it's not as spontaneous as if you just have sex or you know, you schedule sex or whatever. It's not as and I go, Hey, you wouldn't never schedule a business meeting. You would schedule a business meeting up the wazoo. You'd have meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting because you know how important it is to be in communication with the people that you need to meet with. Why wouldn't you meet with your partner? I
1: love that. And you wouldn't come to a business meeting not prepared or setting up the room and the environment the way that's going to be conducive to having a meeting that would be successful. So set up your bedroom that way, do what you need to do to feel comfortable, you know, groom yourself. if That's what you do. Maybe you don't groom yourself. That's what you do. That's what you're into. But I also think it's that dance between, yes, you can bring that directive energy to the bedroom as the goddess to say, because they want, they want to serve the goddess. All they, they want is to make us happy. That's right. In a heteronormative Everyone- world, that's really- or one part, you know what I mean? That's all men yes. want to do.
0: They just want to hear good job. Yeah. Michael taught me that. I said, that's it. You mean I've been alive for this long and I never knew that the only thing men want is to hear good job. Yeah. He said, that's it. You could say it to me a hundred times a day. It would never be enough.
1: That's what my ex-husband used to say. Tell me that. Feed me. Fuck me. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's really it. So, okay. So we're decoding. We're demystifying. We're breaking the code of what it is to have the full life, not one or the other. Yep. You can be, you can have it all. I've always believed you could have it all. I didn't know how to do that. And then I discovered how to do that. And it's not rocket science. It's just, it's just how serious are you about this? Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to communicate it? Are you willing to stand for your own values? And then, Put boundaries where they're not and then communicate a little to the left, dear.
1: Yeah, I love <laughs> I just got something you were saying from the boardroom to the bedroom, decoding the myths of what it is to be a powerful woman. Yeah. Or this decoding the, the mystery of what it is to be a powerful woman. Yeah.
0: Whatever. This yeah. is the book. This is yeah. the book. So good. All right. Thank you, Jen.
1: Thank you. So great. To, I just love being in your space. I love,
0: I love you. I love you too. I want to tell people now how to get in touch with you. If you're listening to this and you are a high power uh, boardroom woman, um, you're calling it C-suite. That's a new one for me. I never heard that before. C-suite means CEO, CIO, CFO. Like all the
1: people that are, yeah, all the people that are in the top leadership, or you can be leading your own six or seven figure company and you are super successful on the outside and everybody thinks you have this amazing life. And on the inside, you're like, yeah, little do you know, when I get home, I drink a bottle of wine and eat Doritos and watch um, the entire season of Outlander so I can watch Jamie ravish his, you know, so I can watch the love scenes kind of thing, right? Or Bridgerton. Little do you know what's going on, on the inside. Yeah. They can get in touch with me through my website. Find out more about me there, JenCoken.com. J-E-N. C-O-K-E-N.com. And there's loads of, um, there's a quiz on imposter syndrome. I've got an ebook on there that's free about imposter syndrome. And I don't know when this is airing. When are we airing this? Is this tomorrow or is it this week or when is it?
0: Um, Next week.
1: Next week. So if it's before the 25th, I'm doing a live webinar at two o'clock Eastern on the 25th. And if it's after that time, you can watch the replay as well. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, my love. Thank you. Uh I'm going to go like this. My regular thing now is dot 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 to be continued. Yes. dot dot.
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: we're started. We're launched. We're launched.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I love it.
0: All right, everybody, thank you for being here with us today on sex and happiness. And um I hope this helped yourself. By the way, if it's not you, but you know someone, have them listen to this. You, yeah. you know, someone who needs to hear us, have them listen to us um, and, and expose them to us. We're, we're, we're available. We're available for a conversation. So um, this is Lori Handler signing off for sex and happiness. I'm thanking my darling Jen Koken and uh, please tune in next time. when i will have another amazing guest. It might just maybe be me. I'm, I'm looking to shift direction, so we'll see what I come up with next time. Bye, all. Bye. Thank you for joining us today for Sex and Happiness. To learn more about Lori and her work, follow her on Twitter or Facebook. You can send her an email at sexandhappiness@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We'll see you again right here next week for another edition of Sex and Happiness. Oh.